this week's podcast brought to you by Passengers Traveling with Small Children. Of course, it's that time of year when everything is a pumpkin spice latte or uh, uh, Philly cream cheese that our daughter bought the other day. And uh, so it's not too early to think of what we're going to be for Halloween. And our seven-year-old has been giving this a lot of thought. And she decided um, just this week that she has narrowed it down to two possibilities. She's either going to be a cheerleader or she's going to be U.S. women's soccer star Alex Morgan. And she can't decide between the two. And just this morning, she said to me, which should I be? Should I be the cheerleader or should I be Alex Morgan? And I said, well, I like uh, you know, the idea of you being Alex Morgan. And 10 minutes later, she said, Dad, I've decided I'm going to be Alex Morgan. And this may be why she was cheering in the back of our minivan. And I have a recording of that. And it sounds like this. Dribble it, pass it, we want a basket. I'm a beauty in the hall and a beast when I play ball. Yeah, boy, boy, yeah. What? Sing says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. I was boarding a plane at Dulles Airport in Washington, D.C. recently, and the day before we were boarding, they I got an email saying we're going to test a new boarding process. And the new boarding process was this. The first people to get on were still the, you know, people with status. And then they were going to board the window seats first, and then the middle seats, and then the aisle seats. And so got on the plane and it wasn't a good sample size because the flight wasn't even close to being full. So anytime you have a mostly empty flight, the boarding process goes smoothly. So right before we took off, I asked the flight attendant, I said, how is the new boarding system working? And she looked at me, she said, what do you mean? And I said, you know, now I got the email yesterday that this was a test flight and window first, middle next, and then aisle. And I'm curious as to how that's been working. And she said, I have no idea what you're talking about. They haven't told us anything about a new boarding process. She literally didn't get the memo. Yeah, she she didn't. Either she didn't open her email or, yeah, she literally didn't get the memo. So I have two questions first. Did you feel like Chuck Yeager on this test flight? Right. You were were (laughs) like, thank you so much. Exploring some new boundary. And secondly, everybody has status. It might not be a high status. It might be a low status. But when you say people who had status, are you talking about? People who have some people kind who of have th- some sort of frequent flyer equity built up with United Airlines, um, and it actually surprises me how how many people don't even have a frequent flyer card when you fly. Because even if you've flown once, it's worthwhile to sign up. It doesn't cost anything. But if you've flown once, you don't qualify as a frequent flyer. You're an infrequent flyer, and presumably, you would not get past the first hurdle. Right? Yeah, that's you have to prove true. the frequency of your flying to well, to be. A frequent flyer. And you talk about this sometimes. It's just it's like Sam's Club. You have to have, I assume, if you're going to be a member at Sam's Club, you have to have several other members nominate you. And then you go before a, a committee of some sort who weighs in on whether you're the type of person 
they want in Sam's Club. Am yes. I wrong? Sam's Club has a much different protocol than BJ's, and theirs is much different than Costco. No, of course, all you have to do is pay. But Do they have reciprocity between these clubs? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't anyway, know go on with the boarding works. process. So, oh, one last you, question about yes. the boarding process. Do you suppose a lot of people who got the memo the day before went immediately to the airport to crowd the gate? I think just I, just in the same way that when there's any hint of any possibility of the plane leaving in the next two hours, people crowd the gate, I think, the jetway, I should say. I think everyone immediately tried to switch to a window and middle seat so they could have somewhere to put their luggage. But you've talked about this. I mean, it's the whole process of boarding a plane is absurd because there are so many people who they call up to board before they ever even get into the people who have frequent flyers or first class or whatever. Passengers traveling with small children. Well, first, first is always passengers needing extra time. So or assistance. Or assistance. So, you know, people will go up in their wheelchairs, of course they need extra time. But sometimes you'll just have somebody walks up who walks up there completely, you know, ambulatory right. and they just I mean who's going to passengers needing extra time or assistance passengers who maybe are narcissists right and don't think the rules apply to them passengers and with with really heavy bags that they want to shove in an overhead two or three overheads and then you get to the passengers with small children not um, passengers with young children with young children right passengers with small children they say so if your child is 9 but he's small Right. If your child's four, but he's large, forget about it. Yeah, that's what I had that experience um, in the last month when I was flying through Detroit. And it, it, there was a lot of angry people on about to board the flight from Detroit to wherever I was going on the West Coast, maybe Seattle. And in particular, there was a woman standing next to me who was getting more and more agitated. First, it was because there were a couple kids getting on and they weren't really small. I'd say they were seven and nine years old. They were actually stopped by the flight attendant who said to the parent, you know, this is for people with children in car seats. You know, you, just because you have a seven and nine-year-old, you don't get the pre-board. And then the woman next to me was get got even more agitated because a bunch of young men were getting on the plane, and she did not hear the flight attendant say that it was now also time in this pre-boarding process for pe members of the military could board the plane. And, and the woman next to me hadn't heard that, so she was just... You know, why are all these people getting on the plane? She in fatigues. Saying, right, in fatigues and showing their military IDs. But she was really annoyed by that. I'm guessing this woman did not buy a pack of Orbit gum for the military when she was given that option. Yeah, she did not buy any gum. And, and then the flight attendant, uh, as everyone else is getting irritable, she was irritable. And she had reason to be. This guy, this gentleman came up to board, and he had two massive what he considered carry-on bags, but they were huge. Like you could fit young or small children in them. And um, she said, "These? how'd you even get these through security? Like these are, you have to check these bags. These are not bags that you can fit on the plane. And he said, well, can I gate check them? And she said, no, you need to pay to check these bags. And he said, well, I have whatever credit card. This is while people are trying to board. He said, well, I have whatever credit card, so I don't have to pay to check my bag. So then it became this huge. So the guy said, I have an American Express <laughs> Platinum card. Right. I don't. The rules don't apply to me. Right. The, whatever it was, it was a mess. But, um, but yeah, did, there's did like 15 different sub pre-boarding groups before they even start um, boarding. So it's going to be interesting to see how United handles this because they claim that they've gone now from five boarding groups to two boarding groups 
and they um, it's funny because in the email it says now you'll have more time to enjoy sitting in the boarding area instead of flooding the gate or enjoy uh, walking through the airport instead of you know all cramming and it'll also allow people to deplane easier using these two boarding groups so um, if people are going to be flying United at any point in the near future and they want to hit us up on Twitter which is at ball and chain pod let us know how the new boarding process is going for United I find there's nothing more enjoyable than sitting in the boarding area sometimes I'll buy a plane ticket I won't even fly it just gets me past security so I can sit in the boarding area doesn't mean sitting in a seat usually they're all occupied doesn't even mean sitting on a ground on the ground near an outlet those are always occupied those spots it just sort of means finding a random place to lean against the wall while people crowd the jetway to get on because if you're going to be sitting on a plane for six hours as you're flying to Seattle, what's, what better than to get on it 10 minutes before everybody else so you can sit an extra 10 minutes? This is the exact verbiage that is used in my email. No need to line up before your group is called. Simplified lanes, now only two, with new signs. With new signs will allow you to sit back and relax at the gate or spend more time within the airport. <laughs> That's their hard sell. This the, is fantastic. The next innovation they need to have is, you know how they have the little aluminum frame that, um, you know, you can put your bag in to see if it fits in right. the overhead? Right. They need to have one of those aluminum frames in the shape of a small child and uh, to have your kid stand in there to see if he or she qualifies as a small child for, for pre-boarding. I like that idea. And, you know, perhaps they should have one for adults as well to see if you qualify to sit in the middle seat because there are certain shapes and sizes in particular I've talked about this before gentlemen with really broad shoulders who should not be allowed to sit in a middle seat because then they completely encroach on both the window and the aisles you're saying these gentlemen with broad shoulders end up shouldering broads <laughs> I, I'm not saying that no, nor saying, am I I'm not saying, saying, saying that either that. no I'm not saying that you mentioned you were at Dulles Airport by the way where all of this happened named after John Foster Dulles. Is it an honor to have an airport named after you? I'm sure at the ribbon cutting it is, of course, but later most people just associate your name with aggravation. Nobody really loves the airport. Well, I wonder, are most airports named after people while they're still alive? Probably not. Maybe maybe people, if, if, if they think that that's an indignity, they need to have it written into their will. Make sure that no one ever names a fill-in-the-blank after me. Like, I would never want a rest stop on a highway named after me. I think that would be a, a, bad, a bad way to go. Well, no pun intended. No, exactly no pun intended. The Vince Lombardi rest stop on the New Jersey Turnpike, of course. Right. You have a problem with the great Vince Lombardi? I'm guessing, but I'm sure, right, that was named after him posthumously, yeah. posthumously, posthumously, posthumously. <laughs> posthumously. You can pre-board so, at a posthumous uh, <laughs> presidential airport, JFK. It would be the ultimate, as, as Denny's generation would say, the ultimate flex, however, if you were to go to the airport named after yourself, and instead of producing ID, you just theatrically gestured to everything around you. Know what would happen, though, because I've, I've flown too often, is you would go to that airport named after you, and you would still be flagged for random screening, because I was flagged for a lot of random screening for no reason. And it is never random. Like, I'll go months without having the random screening, and then all of a sudden I'll have four flights in a row. I'll be randomly, in air quotes, randomly screened. But, yeah, how perfect would that be? You go and 
the airport is named after you and you still have to get randomly screened. How often were you randomly screened in your in your professional basketball career? In other words, in other words, other people in your offense didn't quite know what the play was and they <laughs> randomly screened you. Well, this is the thing in basketball when people forget a play, they don't randomly screen. When when somebody forgets a play, they're, that means they're running to get the ball. They're not running to get somebody else open. That's not how, how it works. People are so, their human nature in sports is to be selfish. And so they're calling somebody to randomly screen them versus randomly screening for someone else. It's the same thing in, in pre-boarding. Exactly. And, and by the way, I, don't, I think we would be remiss, another word that we don't get to use very often, we would be remiss if we didn't mention George Carlin's famous routine about airplanes and how you can't pre-board an airplane. Am I getting on the plane before I'm getting on the plane? Am I boarding before I've boarded the plane? Of course not. You're boarding the plane. You're just doing it before other people. You channeled George Carlin every time I might ask you to please preheat the oven to whatever temperature, and you do that same routine but talk about it in reference to the oven instead of the plane. You're not preheating the oven. You're not heating the oven before you've heated the oven. You're just heating the oven and putting the food in 10 minutes later. Am I wrong? You're partially right. You're heating the oven sometimes before I'm putting the food in. Older listeners may remember Tom Snyder, who hosted The Tomorrow Show after The Tonight Show on NBC, after Johnny, and later on CBS after Letterman. He had The Late Late Show uh, before James Corden, before Craig Ferguson. And I was on that show 20 years ago. And the other guest was George Carlin. I mean, I was the other guest, obviously. He was the main guest. But I shared the green room with George Carlin, and it was everything I could do not to recite various routines. So back you were from. in the green room with George Carlin? I was. Oh, that's. Did you even have a conversation with him? Uh, a brief, perfunctory conversation. He was with his manager or his buddy, and uh, I was not with my manager or buddy. I didn't have either at the time. Um, did but, you at uh, least like get to eavesdrop on George Carlin well, and his I, manager I, slash buddy? Uh, he was. He was on. He was the first guest on, and like halfway through the second segment or something uh, he was supposed to be on obviously for 90% of the show and I was supposed to be on for 10% of the show but he was sort of a hostile witness uh, to the host he would say oh I've got a funny story about that but I'm saving it for my special that kind of thing and the producer of the show who had been on the Tonight Show when I was a kid as, as, a, as a producer and you know, I remember him well um, at some point said okay he's coming off you're going on like earlier than anticipated. So I filled out, you know, half of the show or something. But that was my brush with greatness, George Carlin in the green room. Uh, I have a feeling he never told anybody that he was sharing a green room with me. How great is that, though? He was a hostile witness, so they got rid of him, put you on the show. It'd be nice if congressional hearings could work that way, if somebody's a hostile witness. All right, forget you. Let's get the, the other person up here. That When I was on David Letterman, Dolly Parton was the was the main guest, and uh, we did not share a green room. We each had our own dressing rooms. And actually, the Twitter handle at WNBA Kicks just the other day posted some of that interview, which is like cringeworthy when I see it from when I was on Letterman. Um, but what I was think, cringeworthy, but I didn't see it. Oh, there are a few things. First, my posture. Like I'm sitting in the chair and I'm, I'm like sort of leaning forward. I'm I'm in bad. Po- I have bad posture. Then I had the one thing that I as a college kid was acceptable to wear it's like this long black pantsuit that I wore I've my hair is a bit of a mess and I was just like this it was just a weird awkward shy 21 year old on the show and I may have told this story before but 
when I was in college, I didn't have money to get my hair cut, so my college roommate cut my hair. And so when I was with her, like, school orange-handled paper scissors, so when I went to Letterman, I think that might have been one of the first times I'd ever had my hair and makeup done, and I was in the hair and makeup chair, and the woman's doing my makeup, the other one's doing my hair, and I just remember as she's, like, blowing out my hair that my roommate had been cutting for the last two years, and she was just like, hmm, hmm, like blown away by what the heck is going on with this girl's hair how much notice so, did you have that you're going to be on letterman like a couple of days just a couple of days it, we, i was on a couple of days after we won the national championship so coach oriama and myself and i forget who else went down down with me maybe chris daly and uh and anyway yeah so it was i didn't have enough notice to go to an actual hair salon did, did you uh, chit chat with dolly parton no, I never got to see Dolly Parton, not even once, because we did not share a green room or uh, or any room. And um, I didn't get to chit-chat with David Letterman at all. The first time I met him was when I came out. And it's interesting because, as you know, whenever that you do these shows, there's a pre-interview. The producer calls you and they talk to you and they basically try to find out if there's anything interesting that you have to say. And, um, that and they can then tell the host so the host can exactly. add-lib about it. And he said, but, you know, sometimes, and they told me when I got there, you know, we did this pre-interview, but sometimes Dave goes off on his own. So when I went out there, Dave did not ask me a single thing that he, um, that the producer had brought up in our pre-interview. And I just remember one of my friends when I was in college saying, you know, David, he always whispers something in guests' ear when he greets them. And I don't remember what it was. Well, he was you were introduced as from the University of Kentucky, right? Right. Yeah. So I think he apologized. I think I went out there and he apologized for that, but I didn't hear it, so I didn't even really know what he was talking about. What could he possibly whisper in your ear? I don't know. I, who What's knows? Sweet nothing. I don't know. Well, the beauty of uh, doing the the Tom Snyder show. First of all, he had gone to Marquette for a year, and uh, during a commercial break, I commiserated with him about that. He said something along the lines of. Uh, you know, Tom wasn't a fan of Marquette. Marquette wasn't a fan of Tom, or something, something along those lines. And then we're, and we're back. And I was like, okay, that's a lot to process. Um, but uh, the beauty of it was, it was at CBS Television City in Hollywood, which you know, from my childhood, that was the, where the Carol Burnett show originated from Television City in Hollywood. And you know, of course, it's like anything else; it's a low-slung soundstage. I'm sure many people have seen it. You know, just. Off whatever was this when you were on the book tour for Road Swing? Yes, yes, and uh, and uh, back when there was such a thing as book tours, and um, but it, you know, and Price is Right is done there, and, and other things that you know, from a school sick day or staying home on Saturday night, as I did every Saturday night, watching the Carol Burnett show, it was a cool thing to have been at CBS Television City in Hollywood. Yeah, for, for me anyway, for sure. You mentioned Marquette, that makes me think because Holly Rowe told a couple um, great Rick Majerus stories when she was on the podcast and um, in this very basement in this very basement actually and she also told one when we were when we did one from the Mohegan Sun during the WNBA playoffs but when I was um, doing the, the WNBA finals an old producer we, we, we saw an old producer of ours who was there because he was doing a, a football game anyway he was Rick Majerus's producer and he reminded me of another Rick Majerus story and, um, it, you know, Rick Majerus, wherever he was do- calling college basketball games, would want to find a pool so that he could swim. That was his exercise. And I forget what school they went to, but the sports information person was like, I am going to personally pick up Rick Majerus because I want to make sure that nothing gets screwed up. So he gets to the hotel and, and Majerus says to the guy, 
gotta come to my room. I can't find my speedo. <laughs> so the guy went up to the hotel room, uh, and Rick, I guess there was like clothes all over the room, as if he'd you know been throwing stuff out of his bag looking for the speedo. And and the guy eventually, when he like pulled the bed a little bit away from the wall, found Rick Majerus's speedo in between the bed and the wall and uh, gave it to him and then drove him to wherever the pool was on campus so Rick Majerus could swim his laps. <laughs> so anyway, did he? Did Rick Majerus go to Marquette or did he just coach at Marquette? He coached at Marquette. He was but the he, assistant on, he on didn't, Alan He Morris. was not a Marquette grad. Rick Majerus uh, went to Marquette University High School, Marquette High, and he went to Marquette. He didn't play basketball at Marquette. Uh, he, did, um, he did try out as a walk-on and 1967, but didn't play for them. Then, of course, went on to uh, be an assistant coach under Al McGuire, an assistant coach under Hank Raymond, and then um, took over my soft, freshman and sophomore year. He was the head coach when I was at Marquette. This was all before he was an Olympic swimmer. Right. This is when there was just me and the Speedo there. One of the nice things about the WNBA Finals being a sweep was that instead of calling game four on a Friday night, last Friday night, I was instead at a Niall Horan concert with our 13-year-old daughter. Niall is a terrific singer who used to be in the band One Direction, who our daughter just absolutely loved. She loved the band One Direction, and Niall was her favorite singer. So last Christmas, Christmas of 2017, she got four tickets to the Niall concert. She had to bring one of us, and then she got to bring two of her friends. And um, it was delightful. I had so much fun at this concert. It was uh, thousands and thousands of teenage girls and then their moms. And um, and uh, Marin Morris was the opening act, who is terrific. She's got some popular songs out now, but a country music singer who is a beautiful voice, fun lyrics. 80s Mercedes, 80s right? 80s Mercedes, yeah. Or as Siobhan's friend said, doesn't she have a song, Old Mustang? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Actually, when, when our daughter posted some pictures, uh, she put hashtag Old Mustangs just so that her friend would understand it. Anyway, so it was it was great. There's all these gr- kids there and their parents and, and just waiting for a good time. And sitting or, or standing, actually, for most of the concert, directly in front of me and our daughter and her two friends, who are also freshmen in high school, was this couple. And I'm guessing they were in their mid-20s. And they were all over each other the entire concert. They were just making out the whole time, dancing, just wildly, not wildly inappropriate for a concert, but wildly inappropriate for this concert. And uh, to the point where when the concert was over, a person who was sitting behind me, another mom who I didn't know, she just said to me, how about that couple? She said, I wanted to say something to them. Like, this is not the appropriate place. Well, she should have said something. Well, of course. And and my friends, your friends and our friends in the Twin Cities just went, you know, remortgaged the house to get tickets to Hamilton. You know, this is a, a once-in-a-lifetime event. Went to see Hamilton. And people behind them were talking throughout the whole thing loudly and then, worse, singing along to the various numbers. And, and my friend, our friend, she said something to them. And they were not happy that she said anything. And I think she said something a second time. And they eventually became quiet and they started up again. And this time she went to an usher and the usher had to come and intervene. And these people on the way out said to our friends, while walking out behind our friends, said loud enough to be overheard when... When they go low, 
we go high. When they go low, <laughs> when the people who, I mean, yes, because I paid a fortune to, to hear you sing the Hamilton soundtrack. Right. So, uh, you know, she was right to say something. Well, Most people just, and I'm sure everybody around her was grateful to her for saying something. The reason I didn't say anything is because I was afraid it would horrify our daughter. And this was kind of her night. They were already horrifying they, they were, your daughter. And, and she, she and her friends, it was one of the first things they brought up as we're walking back to the car. And then our daughter mentioned, she's like, remember last year at Christmas Eve Mass? And there was the couple in front of us that were making out. And, that was two years ago. Two years ago. And I actually didn't really remember I remember that. it well. And uh, But I said to our daughter, I said, you know, I said, when I, I have a vivid memory of when I was a little girl and being in church and there was a couple in front of us like kissing and my mother tapping them on the shoulder and said, this is neither the time nor the place. Knock it off. <laughs> and that is just 100 percent what my mom would do. She said the same thing at our wedding. Right. <laughs> right. So um, I'm actually, you know, I'm surprised that my sister, when we were at Christmas Eve mass, didn't say, you know, tap them on the shoulder because she also is a is the daughter of our mother didn't say to the couple this is neither the time nor the place and it, it I, did, I don't know if it was the same couple but it was a Christmas mass I'm pretty sure because a lot of times you know you have people families are having dinner afterwards or something you have somebody who may not have ever gone to mass before at mass you have people who go to mass once a year all of which is great but at one of those masses and I think it was at Christmas Eve mass somebody had a big honking 24 ounce styrofoam Dunkin Donuts oh, cup of that. joe with a slurp and then sit set on the pew next to them and again neither here nor there but I just had never seen that before right. bringing in your own food and beverages right. I mean I've seen little kids with cheerios and stuff you know well, I've just never seen anybody that treating like, it as as a, a Knicks game or something. Right, right. And but honestly, if I saw that, I'd be like, oh, I've not seen that before. But it wouldn't. Necessarily, but I'm but I'm going to try that next week. <laughs> but it wouldn't necessarily bother me. No, no. I would the, just be, the, I would just be reflexively flinching at my mother or father, you know, uh, about to backhand me when I took a uh, big swig of my hot frappuccino <laughs> or whatever it is. I wonder if the if the priest had seen the, the, the couple, if, if he would have said something, or if he would just say, have you not been Virtus trained? Have you yeah, not been yeah. Virtus trained? Don't, don't start. And please. anybody who's listening no, who may have God. a child no, in Catholic don't. school understands what we're talking no, about after, but, the, uh, after the, the scandal, okay. um, the, the initial scandal, however many years ago that was, the, one of the Catholic Church's response was to, uh, make all parents who want to volunteer in their kids' school. If you want to volunteer, you have to watch this Virtus. You have to be Virtus trained and watch Please stop this saying Virtus, Virtus. okay? And you sake. have to watch a video about um, just all the all the things that you should not do when you're around children. But anyway. You talk about projecting. Exactly. So, um, so, yeah. So I'll have to be prepared because I'll probably be in this situation again, whether it's at a concert or maybe at Christmas Eve Mass and have to make sure... I'm just waiting for like a hoagie, like a foot-long submarine sandwich or something, you know? In mass, I'm talking about somebody. <laughs> to what? Oh, to be eating yes. a hoagie? Yes, what, what else would they be doing with a hoagie? I don't know. Yeah, who knows? No, to be like soup or something that they can slurp and make a lot of noise Speaking with. Speaking of soup, but... one of our, our friends came over the other day to pick up or drop off her kids, and she was, what did she have? She had a hot steaming cup of coffee, like in a ceramic mug. Oh, 
on her dashboard. Open-faced, yeah. yeah. Which is parked in the driveway. But I said, like, how do you do that? Do you eat also eat soup while you're driving? I mean, there are certain things that are not really uh, automotive foods. Well, her car was built in the last 40 years, so it had cup holder. It didn't have a, it didn't have a bowl holder. Well, but I'm saying, but... So she had a cup holder, and you know, there's but coffee mugs that are built travel, for the car. Exactly, right. And hers was not; it was just a normal coffee mug, and it, because of that, it couldn't fit in a cup holder, and was just perched precariously on her dashboard. There, there are certain foods and beverages that are appropriate for the car. I mean, some would argue none is. My my dad in his in his Cadillac, you're not bringing any food or beverage into that thing, right? Ever. That's why it still has a new car smell. You know, five years after he's leased the thing, but your uh, father also has a new car smell. He does, he does. But for the rest of us, particularly with traveling with small children, you know, it 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 has its conveniences to be able to eat in the car. But certain foods are not car foods, and uh, and I, I will say the one that is most not a car food is, and I found this out to my uh, peril the other day, is the chipotle burrito. I thought it was self-contained, you know, I could, but once you take that first bite and you open up the whole rigmarole. So you were trying to eat a burrito while driving? I wasn't trying to, I was. And I oh, did, I did eat it. That's a recipe for disaster. Well, uh, I mean. Clearly. It was literally a recipe for disaster for, for Pichotle, Chipotle for a long time. But now that they've gotten their house in order, I figured it was safe to go back. But, uh, but yeah, there were a lot of beans and rice up and down my shirt and my pants. I think some got, some rice got in my shoe. Um, all, all while driving. So it's not. And, and the other thing is, is the Burger King Whopper is not. It's too big to hold in one hand because the end sort of flops open, and it's the mayonnaise that really. I I I can't really empathize because I don't eat Burger King Whoppers or Chipotle burritos, but I'm going to rewind a little bit. You, you did you really use my anecdote about what can and can't be eaten in a car as a platform for moral superiority <laughs> i did you use every other platform for moral moral superiority but when we were talking about our friend with her cup in the car it just it was made a me cup it was a coffee mug coffee mug it made me think of something that i haven't thought about in years and that is i remember as a kid my father had a cup and it, he only had one and it, you know it was the travel coffee mug and it was white with like an orangey yellow lid that you would pop on and um and it was plastic it wasn't the insulated ones now that keep your coffee hot but it just had the little sip top so that you could drink your coffee and it's it's just something i haven't thought about in years and years but you bring up one story and it reminds me of this one cup i mean people probably have multiple coffee mugs now because they're given away free at every function but he had this one that he would and I don't even think we had cup holders that he would just perch somewhere you in didn't the have car cup holders. and slowly you didn't sip have, You didn't have cup holders. And I mug. have a Sears uh, Christmas catalog from 1978, I think it is, upstairs. Somebody gave to me. And uh, it has a, uh, a 1970s coffee maker that you can clip onto the inside of your car window. And... A coffee maker? I think it's a coffee maker. At least it's like a, it's either like a large coffee mug or a small coffee pot, and you basically you just hand crank up the window until it goes until it pinches the clip, you know, and and holds the thing under the inside of the car. There were no that was that was a brilliant idea because there were no cup holders, there was no place to put the cup. There wasn't a center console. You had a bench seat all the way across the front seat. Of course you did. 
That would be something that you'd want your name on. If you were the person who invented the cup holder for the car, then you would be revered by everyone for coming up with that invention. So forget about the having your name on a rest stop or an airport. Whoever invented the cup holder should have their name associated with it. I prefer when you said revered. I think of Paul Revere, and if Paul Revere were the namesake of the verb revere, that would be a nice thing. Um, You know what I would like my name on? I would like my name on a canyon, a river, a mountain, a planet perhaps. Not like like a, a distant star and a distant galaxy that you write away for in the back of a comic book and you get somebody puts your name on it. You know, something, something substantial like that. That's all you just want. They're going to rename the Grand Canyon, Russian Canyon. Or the Grand Russian. River, or, a <laughs> or how about a waterfall? <laughs> Why don't you let them put your name on a waterfall? I think uh, that's I'd, a good I'd idea. allow that. <laughs> Would you? Russian Falls. My, my birthday is coming up at the end of the week. Hold your applause. And it means that I have to renew my driver's license. I think every six years you have to renew your license. And um, to avoid the DMV, I went to AAA where you can renew your license also. And while you still have to wait in line. Can you pause for a second? I I know this because I was in either Seattle or Washington, D.C. I think I was in Seattle and you texted me and said, I need to renew my license. I need some pieces of mail with our address on that, on them. Where do I find that? So with um, my name and our and our home address. So from Seattle, I was telling you where to find pieces of mail with your name and our home address but please continue are you finished i'm finished <laughs> as uh dana carvey as ross perot would say are you finished can i finish um where was i oh i'm going to triple i to renew my license and um quite the parade of of humanity with different questions triple a is a travel agency you can get your license renewed you can get a uh, car and home insurance there all kinds of stuff so while i was waiting in line I heard everybody's query as to why they were there. And one guy was there to uh, to get euros. He was traveling abroad. And okay, you know, give us $200 and we'll give you 200 euros, whatever the exchange rate was. And the guy didn't have any money, but he was willing to write a check for the euros. They, they declined that option. A woman was in there with her, you know, a senior citizen was in there with her middle-aged daughter and the daughter was driving to Florida tomorrow. And um, you know, what's the best route? for her to take and you know there's a hurricane in the Carolinas I-95 now you, can, you can forgive the elderly mother she wasn't elderly she wasn't that old oh, you can forgive her but the middle aged daughter should know about GPS and apps on her phone like well the the, the senior citizen person answering the questions I detected a almost inaudible sigh when she said if you give me a couple of minutes I'll help you and she didn't finish the sentence the way she wanted to, which was, if you give me a couple of minutes, I'll Google it for you. Okay, I'll go to Google Maps for you. Um, so I, I didn't quite understand that. But, you know, there was still the, a mandatory half an hour wait for no reason. And they, they were great, AAA. God bless them, love them. But they're still, you know, you still were put in a little waiting area for half an hour before you had your picture taken for your license. And I was waiting next to an older gentleman and his wife, and uh, about 15 minutes into this wait, and we were, we were the next two in line, he said to nobody in particular, I made it into the army faster than this. And I believe he was speaking the truth when he was inducted into the United States Army. I imagine that whole process took a shorter amount of time than it took to 
renew one's driver's license. It is one of those mysterious things that just seems to take a long time for no apparent reason. As um, Speaking of things that seem to take a long time for no apparent reason, I'm looking at you wearing your glasses and, and you're going to have this license for the next six years and you had your picture taken with your glasses. And these are your old, old glasses because it has now been four or five months and you still have not gone to replace the glasses that I broke when I stepped on not them. Not only did you step on them, I think I mentioned that our son knocked these particular glasses off my face and took a chip out of them. And, and my eye is always drawn to the chip at the bottom that Do were taken out of them. perhaps, especially now that I'm home for a, a prolonged period of time, that it might be a good use of your time to go get yourself finally a new pair of glasses that are the right prescription and style for your face? Are you saying this isn't the right style no, for I'm my face? No, I'm saying that style is fine. I, I think the glasses saying. are fine. I think my face isn't the right style for these glasses, <laughs> or for any glasses. Either way, will you please make it a point? I should get you a pair of glasses, like glasses. cataract surgery glasses that, that block out everything so you don't have to see my face. Perhaps that's that's what we're looking at. Just please go get yourself. Replace the glasses that I broke months and months ago. Please do that. As you know, I write every day up against some deadline or another, and I'm working off of a... 2010 MacBook that Apple sent me an email you know look up the trade val- trade in value of your MacBook it's time to get a new one and I, and I looked up the trade in value they would take 50 bucks for this a whole 50 yeah bucks. and it heats to uh, about 115 degrees after about an hour of use so I have to shut it down periodically while I'm writing and then fire it back up so I, I need to get a new and, laptop. and not buying a laptop has absolutely nothing to do with an inability to afford one. That would be a, a legitimate excuse if you simply did not have the money to purchase yourself a new laptop. However, you do have the money to purchase that. Not you only that. have had the money to purchase that for the last however many years that you have been complaining to me about your laptop, but you still haven't gone to get And I had a, a long book project on this that I was worried on a daily basis I would lose because because this whole laptop would go up in flames. So I'd save it multiple times a day. But you I would email it to myself. And then read it on my computer because the It's a 2008 Microsoft, Microsoft Word. Word doesn't support the old version. Just okay. When it, at some point before our next podcast. We're still recording this I by know, the way. I know. I'm going to make a to-do list for you and on the list is going to be get yourself a new pair of glasses and get yourself a new computer. Okay. Having said that, should we go to viewer mail? I think we should. (laughs) Kids, it's time to answer our voluminous viewer mail, which has uh, been piling up over the last five or six days. And I'll start with some that were sent to our Twitter handle, which is at Ball and Chain Pod. (laughs) And uh, I sort of, I take offense to this one on your behalf. This person said, I wanted to create a poll asking whether people think you're one of the dimmer smart people or the smarter dim people. But you, I worried you or me? Who, who are we you, talking about? You. It means you. But I worried that would hurt feelings. I wish you the best with compressed chemicals in the future. This is in, in response to me mentioning that you would put the sunscreen aerosol can but, in the washer and the dryer. But so not he, on purpose. Well, I don't think that matters. And anyway, he said, whether you're one of the dimmer smart people or the smarter dim people, it's neither. You're, you're, you're a very bright person. You are just um, clueless about certain things. But... Oh, but his Twitter handle is MIT Goalie. So um, either his name is Mitt or he went to MIT and therefore... Mitt with every, one T? Every, therefore, everyone is, is dimmer than he. Okay, this is from Jeff. Jeff writes a lovely email about, among other things, his friend who's an elementary school teacher and a writer and a storyteller who tells stories on The Moth on NPR. Uh, he's constantly asked how he comes up with ideas for stories. He does something he calls homework for life, 
we were talking on a previous podcast about writing things down. At the end of every day, his friend Matthew thinks, if I had to tell a story about something that happened to me today, what would it be? And he keeps a list of these things. That's kind of what I do in notes mode on my phone for this podcast. My phone was dead at the DMV, so I couldn't write anything down. <laughs> I had to remember that stuff. In other news, Jeff writes, many podcasts ago after Philip Roth died, one of you recommended The Human Stain. That would have been you, yep. Rebecca. I put it on my list, and before I left for the West Coast, I finished it. A challenging book, but I liked it. Thanks for the recommendation. When I put the book on my shelf in alphabetical order, yes, I am that guy, I had a happy co coincidence. The Human Stain now sits between an old Ian Rankin novel and The Paint Man by You Know Who. I thought you might appreciate that. Well, I do appreciate that, Jeff. And I was at Barnes & Noble on Sunday with our youngest daughter who had a book she wanted to get, and I couldn't help but go look to see if Stingray Afternoons was facing out in the biography section, and it was. Usually it's alphabet alphabetized next to uh, Donald Rumsfeld. Right. But this time, because of the way the shelves broke, M was at the bottom of one shelf, and then they started over at the top of the next shelf, so that my R at the bottom was next to Nelson Mandela. And there was a book, Young Mandela. I took a picture of it next to, next to my book about my childhood. And I thought that was quite absurd that uh, the young Mandela had the indignity of being next to the young... The young Russian. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. Here's a, a tweet. This is, again, talking back about your putting the sunscreen in the washer and then also in the dryer. And this woman said, I used to take the beer koozies out of my husband's shorts pockets until he asked if I could please just leave them in there. He wanted her to clean the koozies. <laughs> so those were in there on purpose. I like that. Here's one from Tony. Tony writes about sticker removal. I also threw into the washing machine a T-shirt on which our daughter had one of those Hello, My Name is stickers on, and they don't come off, right? Right. Well, Tony says they do. I just listened to your episode and have myself wash shirts with stickers on them multiple times. Adhesive remover will break down the remaining adhesive from the sticker. It may take a couple of applications and some scrubbing, but it works. He includes a link from Amazon. Why didn't we think that adhesive remover might remove adhesive? Well, I also had a tweet from Sheila who said, try a small amount of nail polish remover on a paper towel to remove the adhesive from the sticker. Tested on a small area first. It worked for me on jeans. And see, you gave me a hard time because you said, just go to Google. But of course, in the last week since we did the last podcast, I didn't think to go to Google, but I did look at our, our Twitter at replies, and now I have two ways I can try to get the sticker adhesive off of the clothing. You know what we should have done? One of us should go to AAA and ask them how to get uh, adhesive stickers <laughs> off of... Uh, if you, it, and when I have to renew my license next year, that's what we'll do. Um, Lauren, our resident educator on the podcast, said, I had a girl on the first day of school ask me for a pencil. She said she didn't have any room for it in her fanny pack. I proceeded to pack 20 pens and pencils in her fanny pack to prove a point. Guess who hasn't asked for a pencil since? So this is probably a good time for me to mention that a few days ago, I was on the computer and you were about to leave the house and I said to you, I said, I'm about to purchase myself something. And I thought you might come back to the computer and see what it was, but I said, I'm about to purchase myself something. And on your way out the door, you said, whatever it is, whatever it is, you're worth it and left. And uh, what it was, was I purchased myself online a fanny pack. So it hasn't come in yet. It's a fanny pack that one of our fanny pack pros, Holly Rowe, sent me a screenshot of it and said, this this would fit you well. You should get this fanny pack. Would it be Mick Mankind Foley approved, do you think? <laughs> I think it would be Mick Foley approved. 
I'm waiting well, for I, it to come in. I know I, that you've purchased the fanny pack because you did later show me, and I told our 13-year-old daughter that, uh, and her friends who were here after a sleepover that uh, mom is so glad that mom, mom just purchased the fanny pack. She's so glad that fanny packs are back in. And our daughter said, for teenagers. <laughs> they're I, in for teenagers. She's... um. She, but I, what the one thing I have to fall back on is I can just say no. Miss Rowe wears one. If Miss Rowe wears one, meaning Holly Rowe, then it's okay for me to wear one. Um, and I'll, on our, uh, on a tweet I sent out last week as well, I said to our people, you know, when we talked about Restiva, our people team hashtag Team Rebecca, hashtag Team Steve, or hashtag Team Restiva. And Tanya said it depends on the story. But um, I'm surprised that we've actually had more people respond that they're hashtag Team Steve than hashtag Team Rebecca. And I don't understand how that could possibly be accurate. Even though I'm, I'm the, the dimmest smart person they've ever met? <laughs> Even though you're the smartest dim well, person. Well, here yes. from Ed, our, our resident patent attorney, is the, uh, is the email that he sent to ballandchainpod at gmail.com. Restiva sleep formula, extra strength, advanced cellular sleep. Well, Fast-acting, synergistic need, effect. We need to tell this story. Restiva Sleep Intraoral Extra Strength provides rapid absorption, promoting deep... Now I sound like I'm doing an infomercial. I'm not going to do that. But, but, explain, but anyway, it's a thing that it exists. Explain to our listeners how this came about. We, didn't we already do that? Oh, well, uh, on a previous podcast, we mentioned that, uh, you know, we're, my, my daughter and her friend were talking about Kim Kardashian and Kanye West, and I piped up with Kimye. You know, if mom and I had a name like that, and our daughter said, it's called a ship name, Dad. I said, okay, if your mother and I had a ship name, we would be Restiva. And she said, well, yeah, but you don't because nobody cares about you two. And I said, okay, fair enough. But I'm going to start calling us collectively Restiva. And our resident patent attorney, Ed, in Silver Spring, Maryland, sent us a, uh, regrettably, someone is already using Restiva as a product name, he writes, and he includes, includes and it's a, this. It's to help you sleep. Apparently, I don't know what well, it is. Well, that's perfect for the it's podcast. I'm going to throw in that when you first told this story last week or whenever it was, it took me a minute. I was thinking, ship name, why would you have a different name when you're on a, a cruise or on a yacht? And then I realized it was short for relationship. That's accurate, right? I assume that's where so. Ship but comes yes, from. You don't miss a thing, you know that? I know. So Restiva, you, it's a drop and you put it, I don't know. I, absorb why, it why, gonna, why, why would we? It, doesn't it say right there? It does there? say there, but I don't have it on my screen anymore. But uh, but I'm, I'm interested okay, okay. in... in it's, it's intraoral, whatever that means. Get the best sleep of your life formula. Restiva Sleep Intraoral Extra Strength is a different kind of sleep formula, including the body's natural REM and non-REM sleep states by modulating the circadian sleep-wake cycles. Enjoy deep, restful sleep Use nightly for consistent results. So evidently, Restiva is something that will put you into a deep sleep. I think that's so 100% appropriate. It, it, it should be the to, new name of the podcast. When it comes to you and me and our podcast right. in general, we are sleep inducers. Um, Dr. Gary Siegel, we President asked in a previous, and he mentioned in a, in a previous email that on your on our recommendation, he read Eats, Shoots, and Leaves out of his local library. So this is we sort of started the book club here. Now, The Human Stain, you've, you've sold Philip Roth, the late Philip Roth, got him one sale with The Human Stain, and now Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. And Dr. Gary Siegel read it, but we, he didn't say what he thought of it. And you asked last week, I believe, if he didn't say what he thought it, of it. Of course Well, he writes, it. a bit slow at the start, but really got great at the end. The English humor was great. Gary, it, Gary with two R's. And, and what I love about this email is he writes the English humor was great, and he spells humor H-U-M-O-U-R. He spells it the English way. I love it. 
perfect. Jackie writes the ball and chain pod at gmail.com recipe for Steve. And there's a link here. And I'm, I hesitate to open the link. But when I click on it, it takes me to foodnetwork.com White Castle style sliders. Oh, how perfect. Because last week I said, you know, if you want to Google something, you could Google recipes. And you said, oh, we'll just have somebody send us recipes. And she sent you the perfect recipe. So you would, you would never have considered Googling this particular food item. But Jackie, total cook time, one hour for cook and prep. Cook time, 45 minutes, yield eight burgers. I'll have you know that I can go to, go to an actual White Castle and less than 30 seconds get as many burgers as I want. Or I can like- go to the grocery store and, and nuke two boxes of, of White Castles, frozen White Castles. I, I get a dozen of them, and it probably takes me three minutes to nuke them all. See, this is where a wife just wants to be appreciated. Yesterday I went to the grocery store and I came home. I spent two hours after I got home prepping and making meals for, for this week because we got a lot of soccer games and kid activities. I want to make sure the kids aren't stuck with White Castles or breakfast for dinner. When you cook at home, it takes time. You have to go to the make your list, go to the grocery store, make the food. And you're, you know, this was lovely of her to send you this recipe, but you're dismissing it out of hand because no, no, no. it would take an hour. Like that's that's it, what happens it was, when you. It was absolutely lovely of her to send me the recipe, and and it would be uh, even lovelier if you if you made the recipe. I would I would love to spend an hour in the kitchen, get the kind of me time that you get you're whenever right. you prepare meals in the kitchen, but I would like at the end of that hour to have something that I couldn't produce better in the span of ten seconds. I could get the authentic. White Castle in a matter of seconds rather than spending an hour in the kitchen to get to get a, a hollow imitation. Last viewer mail here at Gmail, at ball and chain pod at Gmail, is um, Rachel writes, for your viewing enjoyment. And when I click on the link, it is a 10-second snippet from the show Psych. Corbin Burnson, who we all know and love from L.A. Law, is uh, admonishing the two knuckleheads from Psych and... Uh, and the one guy says, "You just tell her. You just tell us where and when. This is a Rebecca Lobo layup. You just tell me when and where. This is a Rebecca Lobo layup." Well, there you have it. There you have it. On that note, I think we should let Tom, Dick, and Harry play us out. Saying says no pain, no gain, and we found that to be fact. The road might twist and turn a bit, but we all arrive intact. Mr. Mom and Mrs. Dad having each other's back. Day by day, just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Six of us and the family pet live in cuckoo nest. Daily grind puts your sanity to a daily test. Androgynous and vigorous, what we give for a little rest. Stay by day just to keep it sane. Who's the ball and who's the chain? It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. It's hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane. Hard to tell right here on Happiness Lane.